Good morning. Once again, welcome to Church Online at Milton Bible Church. It's Father's Day, and we're excited to spend Father's Day together. Uh, I'm going to pray for our fathers in just a moment, but we want to express our heart's uh, appreciation for all the dads and all the father figures that speak into our lives that help us to walk in the ways of God and to walk in righteousness. You know, the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church, you have not many fathers. And of course, what he was saying was, you have not many fathers who have given you spiritual birth or helped you come to um, uh, understanding what it means to be born again in Jesus Christ. But also you have not many fathers who have spoken into your life, shaped your life, caused you to be the people of God that you are walking in fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And uh, we are thankful for our spiritual fathers. We're thankful for mentors. We're thankful for those who come alongside and speak into the lives of others. We're also thankful for the fathers that God gives us through natural birth, um, fathers that uh, come alongside of us that speak truth into our lives, that teach us uh, the difference between right from wrong, and that really help us to walk fully in Christ, and also to teach us and show us what a man of God looks like. Now, that for some that might be an uncle, for some that might be a grandfather, for some that might be uh, a mentor, or that might be your own dad. But for all these people, we want to be thankful for. And thank you, uh, fathers, for being who you are. Let's pray together. We just want to pray for our dads, pray for our service today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fathers that you give us and the father figures, spiritual fathers, mentors, people who speak truth and righteousness and life and hope into our hearts. And so we thank you, Lord, for all those who you have given to us in a very special way, who remind us of you, who look like you, um, and who are a father to us as you are a father to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are a father. And we thank you that that is the image the Bible presents of our heavenly father. And so we thank you that uh, we are always welcome at your table. We thank you that there is always a place for us in your home. We thank you that you uh, welcome prodigals and those who struggle and uh, kind of uh, come back to you even later in life. And so we thank you that you are that great picture of a father and we pray for our fathers in our lives. And we pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would guide them with your holy word, that the scriptures would fill them so that they would be men of righteousness and truth and justice and help to shape a new generation um, in many ways very troubled times. And so we just pray for our fathers and we just thank you for them now in Christ's name. Amen. Bless our dads, we ask. Well, we're going to be looking at a brand new topic today from the scriptures. But before we do that, I just want to make, uh, mention a couple things. 
A week and a half ago, the Ontario government announced that churches could again uh, begin to gather together. And uh, we just want you to know that our elders are working on that, putting a plan together, putting things in motion. And our target will be July. We uh, need to iron out a few things uh, before we meet together. And two of those things which are very important to us are, first of all, safety. Safety for individuals, safety for families. We want to not only observe the province's protocols that they put down and the region's protocols that they have for us, but we also want to go the extra mile because we want to make sure that everyone who walks in here is protected and can have the assurance that they're in a safe place and that we are going to behave in a safe and appropriate manner. The second thing that uh, we want to make sure of, and it kind of is goes along with the first one, because we know some folks will not feel like they're ready to come back. They're not, they, they're, they're gonna feel like uh, maybe they're just not sure, or there's, it's just not time, or maybe they have underlying health issues, and they're, they're saying, you know what, I'm not sure I wanna come back that quickly. And the first thing we wanna have for those folks, for all of us, is grace, grace. So I want you to understand, there won't be a spirit of judgment, there won't be a spirit of condemnation, there won't be any pressure for you to come and uh, to uh, 121 Chisholm Drive in order to be together as the church. Uh, we want you to have the full freedom to walk with Jesus through this. And we are gonna love and respect one another in all of these situations. So understand that. We just want to have a spirit of grace about the whole thing. And so for those folks who may not be ready to come back or, or uh, you know, have extenuating circumstances, we want to continue our church online. And so we're working through that. What does that mean to, say, film Sunday morning services? What does it mean? Maybe it's something through the week that we have to do. We're really not quite sure yet. We're working those things through. But we want to make sure that whatever we do, it's a quality presentation, that it encourages your heart. Many people have expressed how much they've enjoyed church online and gathering together. You may want to even hit the like button right now. But uh, we want you to understand, we want to continue that. And we want to, we want to provide that. And so we're excited that uh, we're working on that and we're moving those things together. There's lots of other considerations, lots of other things that are happening, but those are two of the big ones. We want to make sure everyone's safe and we want to maintain our online presence as we move forward as a church. So uh, you can pray about a couple, uh, you can pray about those things and uh, keep those things in your diary. It's very, very exciting days that we live in. Much change, much transition, and that just includes a lot of people doing a lot of things behind the scenes. So thank God for that. Today we're going to start as a new series um, that I'm kind of calling Sliders. Uh, and what we're, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to begin a study in the book of Revelation. Over the next uh, number of weeks, we're going to look at the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. And what we're going to be focusing on is seven letters that are written to seven churches. And, um, and, and, and so we're going to be looking at those things. Um, over these last weeks... Uh, 
For a lot of people, they've been difficult weeks or even months. It's been three months now, uh, pretty much to the day where we went into lockdown as a nation and as a province and as a region. And for a lot of people, this has been a very stressful time. So education, this has been a really mixed bag for a lot of folks. Um, not only for our teachers who've been under a lot of pressure, but also our parents who are trying to help our children learn at home. It, it, these have been tough days. For other folks, there's been workplace tension. Workplace tension. Is the business opening? When is it going to be open? When will I get the hours that I need? Or maybe I'm getting so many hours that I'm actually getting worn out and beat up. For other people, they're, they've, they, they've struggled with their business. They've lost business or, um, or, or perhaps lost, even lost employees. And, f and for others, they are working so many hours that this has been the biggest business boom they've ever had. And that brings tension and that brings trial and that brings difficulty with it as well. Um, there are great challenges. Not only that, we've had the social unrest that have to do with the racism, uh, systemic racism that exists in our culture and during this day. And all of us are working through that. First of all, we're looking at our own selves, our own hearts. We're looking in the mirror and asking tough questions. And secondly, we're asking tough questions about our, our you know, education and government and, and all kinds of institutions and organizations, including the church. We need to ask ourselves tough questions in this issue um, of racialization. And we need to really understand who we are and how we are responding to it. These are good things. These are good things and we need to face them within ourselves and within the things that we're associated with and we need to move forward together uh, to do better and to be better. But we live in a chaotic world. We live in a difficult world. We live in a world that's getting really more complicated and more difficult to figure out all the time. But the question I really wanna ask you today, and here's the question that I, I want to ask you, is after three months of kind of being in lockdown, we're just kind of beginning to um, get open up again. I want to ask you this question. Are you closer to Jesus Christ than you were three months ago when this whole thing began? Or have perhaps you've drifted? Or perhaps you've slid? Or perhaps your family is not on track like it once was? And, you, and perhaps you've even lost your passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the things of God that you once did. That's why I'm calling this series Sliders. Because I think for each and every one of us, there is a temptation to do that. There's a temptation to be discouraged. There's a temptation to go into despair. There's a temptation to be so stressed that we are actually losing our love for God and our love for the things of God. I'm gonna read a quote to you, and uh, I'm not gonna tell you who said it, but uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let you know at the end of the quote. But listen, listen very carefully. This is what it says, it's taken from a journal. 
It says this, they say people in hell suffer, suffer eternal pain because of the loss of God. In my soul, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. Jesus, please forgive my blasphemies. I have been told to write down everything. What do I labor for? If there be no God, there can be no soul. And if there is no soul, then Jesus, you also are not true. Heaven, what emptiness. Not a single thought of heaven enters my mind, for there is no hope. The person who wrote those words was Mother Teresa. She wrote those words in her private journal that she was encouraged to keep. For almost 50 years, she experienced what she called the dark night of the soul. Discouragement, despair, doubt flooded her, except for a period of five weeks in 1958, basically from, uh, from 1948 until her death in 1997. Just shy of 50 years, she struggled. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote a tribute to Mother Teresa, and in it he said this, we do have reason to question if her dark night of the soul was really from God, or rather from either a tragic story of depression, or an attack from Satan, or both. You know, there's no secret that one of my favorite hymns is called Come Thou Found. And Come Thou Found is a song that is written to proclaim and to celebrate the grace and mercy of God that flows freely from the fount of his love. But the line that I love the most in that song, the line that I think cuts to the heart of the soul is this line. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. See, the truth is, and the difficulty is, all of us go through times of discouragement. All of us go through times of despair. Some struggle enormously with times of depression. All of us fail. All of us fall. All of us drop the ball. All of us drift. All of us slide. All of us shift. All of us get off track. And the purpose of the book of Revelation is to call us back into the heart of the love of God and to understanding that God has a purpose and a plan for each one of us as we move forward in him. So I want you to understand that the purpose of what we're gonna study, what we're gonna study is to understand this, that all of us at times are hypocrites. All of us at times say one thing and we do another thing. And that's why as we begin today, I just want to ask you the question, are you closer to God than you were three months ago or have you drifted? Have you slid? 
Have you shifted in your perspective, in who you are and what you've done and in your relationship with God? Well, here's the good news. The good news is no matter how hard we fall or how big we fail or how much we're discouraged or how deep our depression is, we have a God who is redemptive. We have a God who speaks life into hurting hearts and he doesn't forsake us. He doesn't abandon us. In fact, he stands in the midst of the situation that we are walking through and he calls us into the fullness of life with him. And we can always come home. We can always come home. There is always a place at the Father's table for prodigals. The theme of the book of Revelation is this, that we have a conquering king who stands in the midst of his church. That we have a conquering king who stands in the midst of his church. And what we want to do is kind of look at the prologue today, look at the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, and just get a picture of that magnificent king, that warrior king, that glorious king, that amazing King Jesus. So a couple of things before we get right into Revelation chapter 1. Let's talk about the author. The author is John. Verse chapter 9 says, I, John. John, John the Apostle. Revelation is composed of a series of prophetic visions that are given to the Apostle John. John is a Christian who is exiled for his faith on the island of Patmos. And John was well known to all the churches of Asia. So John's word, as he wrote this and sent this letter out to the churches, it would have carried great authority. His use of the Old Testament suggests that he's a Jew from Palestine, and he was the youngest of Jesus' disciples. He called himself in the Gospel of John the Beloved. Last week, I was in a store, and I saw a t-shirt, and it said this, God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. And that's kind of the way John felt. God loves everybody, but he really loves me. He didn't, not in a pecking order, a superior way. He just felt really loved by God. And he gave himself the title in his gospel, the beloved. You see, when Jesus and the disciples were gathered in the upper room, on the night Jesus was betrayed, John was lying against Jesus' chest as they uh, broke bread and had supper together. John was the youngest of the disciples, probably a teenager during the time when he was following Christ um, and, and learning from him and, and learning what it meant uh, to be an apostle. John was the only of the 12 disciples at the foot of the cross on the day that Jesus was crucified. And now he is an old man. He's basically, basically in solitary confinement and he comes to bring a very powerful word to the church, calling others to be people of faith, to follow faithfully the Lord Jesus, just as he has followed him faithfully. That's the one who writes this book. Secondly, let's talk a little bit about the literary genre. It's called apocalyptic writing. Now, oftentimes when we talk about the apocalypse, what we have in our mind is the end of the world. Almost every television show, almost every movie that's dramatic has the end of the world in sight. If it isn't a, a, um, a romance, uh, 
kind of a show. It's an end of the world show. And so, you know, whether it's Mission Impossible or whether it's, you know, some kind of dramatic thing, you know, that's happening, it's always the end of the world. You know, Marvel Comics, they've come to save the world because it's about bound for destruction. And that's what we think about when we think about the word apocalypse. But let me tell you what the word apocalypse means. The word apocalypse actually uh, means revelation. It means to show or make known, to reveal. I've got a good friend by the name of David Campbell, and he has written a book called Mystery Explained. Mystery Explained. I know he's a good friend of mine because right in the first uh, forward he wrote to my very good friend, Jim DeMarsh. You know, I kind of, you know, I enjoy our, our, our days together. And, uh, but I'll tell you, mystery revealed that he has nailed the definition of apocalypse. He has nailed the definition of revelation. And let me commend this book to you. It is fabulous. It's a short book. It's a small book, but it's packed with meat and information and good theology concerning the book of Revelation. It's a commentary that should be on your shelf. It's, it's the best one I have on the book of Revelation. Fabulous. So pick that up. Um, uh, also, the, the literary genre is apocalyptic literature. The language is figurative language. It's symbolic language. It is filled with imagery and much of what's written finds its roots in the Old Testament. In fact, there are 400 verses in the book of Revelation, and there are 500 allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. So, for instance, when it comes to figurative or symbolic uh, language or imagery, um, let's take the number seven. In the book of Revelation, we have seven spirits, seven angels, seven churches, seven gold lampstands, seven seals, seven bowls, uh, seven judgments that are poured out. And while the number seven can literally mean seven, like seven objects or seven things, or literally seven churches, um, it also stands in the Bible for completeness or fullness or perfection in figurative language. So the earth was created in seven days. It's a picture of completion, fullness. Um, the Sabbath rest is on the seventh day when we have finished our labor and we, and, and we rest in the Lord and we take a day off, what we are saying is, God, you are God and I can rest in you and I can trust you to do what you have asked me to do and to make sure my life is oriented around you. <clears throat> and, and that is so important because what we were doing, <coughs> excuse me, is what we're revealing that we trust God and that he is our king. The same truth is around giving. When we have a heart to give, what we're declaring is you are the Lord, you are the king. And on the seventh day we rest, saying you are our king. It's a, a day of completion. Joshua walked around Jericho seven times. Many Jewish festivals today last for seven days long. And when Jesus spoke his sayings from the cross, he gave us what? Seven sayings that we study and we hang on to and that are so important. So when it comes to the seven churches, what we understand is this. 
when it comes to the seven churches of Revelation, we understand that there's seven literal churches. Literal churches um, in Ephesus, in Smyrna, in Thyatira, in Laodicea. Like there are seven literal churches. But it also represents the complete church, the full church, all churches everywhere. So when, when John is, is giving this revelation and Jesus is speaking, it's not just to seven isolated churches, it's to all of us. So the things that they experience are things that we experience, the trials that they go through that Jesus is going to speak into are trials that we know something of, the tribulation, the testing, you know, um, the temptations, all of these things are familiar, not just to them, but it speaks to us as well. It's this seven, represents all of the churches. And this is the first lesson that we learn out of these scriptures, and that's this, is that the church rests secure in Christ. So take a look. Revelation chapter one, verse nine says this. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos in account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John says, I, John, have basically been imprisoned, exiled in solitary confinement on the Isle of Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea. He's an old man. He is speaking, and this may be his last communication, to the churches of Asia. And I guess I just want to say this. Sometimes when you get older, you think, you know what? I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything to say. God's kind of finished with me. My day is over. It's time for the next generation with younger legs and stronger voices to come up and say that which, you know, God is calling them to do. And we hand off the baton and we say, my day is done. And I would say to you, no, not so. Not so. Here is an old man in his later years who, is, who God speaks powerfully through to the church, to the next generation, and not just the next generation, but for the next 2,000 years. So understand this, God is not done with you yet. You are not finished. He still wants to bring glory to his name through you. So do not give up. Do not give up, oh gray-haired ones, including myself. God has a commission for us as well. So, verse 10, it says this. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Now, what, it, what John says is, I, John, I was in the spirit. And what, this is a direct um, allusion to Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2, and chapter 3, verse 12, which talks about when Ezekiel was filled with the Spirit. And in fact, that's what Ezekiel says, for I was filled with the Spirit, and I began to prophesy. For the Spirit of God was in me, and I began to speak on God's behalf. And that's what John sa is saying. He, he's, doing, he's saying two things. First of all, this is a supernatural pronunciation from the Lord himself. But what John also does is he puts himself in the category of the, of the prophetic giants, of Ezekiel. 
of Daniel, of Isaiah, of Jeremiah. The great, great prophetic voices of the scripture, John says, I am right there with them in that category. And John's prophecy here carries great weight. He says also, I am worshiping. It's the Lord's day, it's Sunday. And God is breaking through and God is speaking and God speaks like a trumpet. And John is trembling and he turns to see who is talking to him. And this is what it says in verse 12, chapter one. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his hair head were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, from his, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun in full strength. What do we make of this vision? We really need to be careful when we begin to deal with figurative uh, language, imagery, symbolism, <coughs> because it can, you, people start making these things mean all kinds of bizarre things. And see, young Christian growing up, I grew up with all these charts and with all these things and pictures of tanks rolling in and people getting machine gunned and all kinds of bizarre things that, that people were interpreting through the book of Revelation, some super spiritual, some, you know, super doomsday-ish. And so we really need to be careful how we interpret the book of Revelation. And, um, and so one of the ways that we do that is we let Scripture interpret Scripture. <clears throat> and so in verse 20, it says this, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So what he's saying is, first of all, as he interprets this vision, or as this vision is interpreted for him, by the Holy Spirit, it says that the seven stars represent the seven angels. And of course we know angels are part of the angelic realm, part of the host of heaven. And what we see here is the Lord of glory who is the king of all heaven. He is the king of the supernatural realm. He's the king of the angelic host. But not only that, he's also the king of the earthly realm. And that's why it says that the seven lampstands are the seven churches representing the earthly realm. So God and the fullness of God's people and on earth is where Jesus is standing in the midst. The king of the supernatural realm and the king of the natural realm. The king of the angelic hosts and all that occurs in heaven and the king of, of the churches and all the ruling and reigning of Christ over his church on earth. That's the picture that we have. That's who this is written to. You know, one of the verses that I, I love in Revelation chapter 3, it's written to the last church. We're going to get to this, but I just want to jump ahead. I love this so much. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, it says this. 
It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And what it is, it's a picture of the king of kings, the Lord of glory, the king of the supernatural, the king of of the natural, who knocks on the door of our hearts and says, if you enter, if you allow me to enter into your heart and into your home and into your life to become king of all that I rule and reign over, guess what will happen? If you invite me in, I will come in and I will sit and I will have a meal for you. In Middle Eastern culture, to break bread together, to have a meal together was the most intimate thing that you could do um, with a friend or a neighbor or a relative. It was an act of hospitality. It was saying that your family is a part of my family. It was so such an important custom. And Jesus says, if you will just open that door, if you will receive me, if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, you will be saved. I will come in and I will do life with you. And we will share such intimate times that, it, that the most intimate expression that I can think of having a meal together um, is we'll be doing life together. And if you've never trusted Christ as your savior, you've never received him, That's where it begins. I would encourage you to do that. That is the first step. And what Jesus is trying to show us uh, as he speaks to John and as John is revealing to us the Lord of glory, he is in the midst of his people. He is in the midst of his church. He, he, He is right there. He is with us in everything. Understand this. God knows the church. God knows you. God knows his people. He knows your temptations. He knows your trials. He knows your tests. He knows your difficulties. He knows your discouragements. He knows your depression moments. He knows when things are tough. He knows when you fail. He knows when you fall. He knows all of these things, and yet he says, here I am. I stand in the midst. I am with you. I, the ruler over heaven and earth, I know everything about you. And here I stand right in the middle of it all. That is so cool. It goes on to say more. Not only is the king with us, but the most powerful savior uh, equips his church to overcome. So what's John do when he hears this voice and he turns and he sees the Lord? Well, what he does, he faints, he crumbles. I mean, he just, he, he, is, he, he is in a tough way. And what does Jesus do? He picks John up. Listen to the description of the one who stands in the midst of his church, in the midst of his people. It says this, first of all, it's the son of man clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. And it points to the ruler of all creation. It talks 
Really, it's an image from the book of Daniel where the Ancient of Days hands over the kingdom and all the kingdoms and all the glory and all the honor to the Son of Man. That's what this allusion is to. That's who this king is. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. The same words are used to describe the Father in the Old Testament, identifying Jesus with the Father, God and God. His eyes were like a flame of fire. This refers to Christ's role as a judge, the one who will judge both the living and the dead. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and it refers to Christ's moral purity, the strength of his stand, that he is unmovable, that no one can, can take him down. And his voice was like the roar of many waters, the voice of overwhelming power and authority. And so the king, when we are overwhelmed, he reaches down and he picks us up. And what does the king hold in his hand? In verse 18, as we, before we begin to, to actually address the churches, he wants us to be, understand this. Verse 18, Jesus says, tell them this, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. What Jesus is saying is understand this, I am the giver and sustainer of all life. Like, what's the worst thing that can possibly happen to us? What's the worst thing that can possibly happen? Well, the worst thing, you know, is we get sick and we die. We get sick and we die. And you know what Jesus says? I got that. Because you know what? I'm holding the keys. I got the key to death and I got the key to Hades. I got the keys to heaven, but more importantly, I got the keys to hell. And I have died and I have risen again. And if I have died and I have risen again, and if you trust in me and put your faith in me and you persevere until the end in me, guess what? I have this covered. I've got it covered. You do not have to worry. You do not have to faint. You do not have to feel insecure. You do not in any way need to doubt or be discouraged. I I've got you, man. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what happens in business. It doesn't matter what happens on the street. It doesn't matter what happens anywhere. Understand this. I have your back. I have the key to the worst case scenario of all time. I got you. I have got you. So here's the encouragement. I want you to live for me. I want you to live fully for me. I want you to give your heart and your life and your problems and your pressures and your difficulties and your discouragements and everything else that's going on in your life, whatever it might be, whatever it has caused you to slide, whatever it has caused you to shift, whatever has caused you to drift, whatever it is, I want you to understand the king of glory has your back. The king of kings has you in the hollow of his hand and he is not going anywhere. He who has ears to hear, let him hear and rejoice in this and realign back with God and let the Lord of glory capture your heart again. Oh, church, that is the desire of John. John. 
That is the desire of the book of Revelation. That is the desire that these things are written to the church. And we're going to get into some pretty nitty-gritty details of why we slide, why we slip, why we drift, why we shift, why we lose track, why we get off track. And we're going to, every week, we're just going to call one another back to the love of God, to the fullness of life in Christ. That's what the Lord has for us. And we're going to do this together. We're going to do this together. We're going to do this in community. We're going to do this encouraging one another, loving one another, being there for one another, lifting up one another, because we can't do this alone. We need to do this with the help from the Spirit of God and the people of God, but mostly from the Lord Jesus Christ, who stands in the midst of his church, in the midst of his community, rules and reigns in our hearts for his glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to pray, and uh, we will have finished our introduction to the book of Revelation, and next week we're going to get into talking about the church of Ephesus. I would encourage you to read that uh, ahead of time. In fact, read it several times. It's just a great, a great church, um, but it's in, it's in spiritual trouble, and, uh, and we, we're going to talk about that and how to, how to address that. So let me pray. And uh, listen, I just hope you have a great Father's Day. I don't know if you have steak on the barbecue or tube steak or you're gonna boil them in a saucepan, um, whatever it might be. But I just want you to love on one another. Let this be a day where the love of God is shed abroad and you just give proper appreciation to the people that are around you. So let me, let me, I'm gonna pray, but I want you to do this. Even as we uh, close the service, uh, I just wanna pray for our families and I wanna pray for our church. Um, and if you've got a dad that's with you, um, I'm gonna ask you just put your, put, you know, uh, if you're a child, just put your hand on his arm or put your arm around his shoulder um, and just touch him and let him know how much you love him. And if maybe you have a dad that is not here, maybe you could just be thinking about him, praying for him, appreciating him, and uh, seeking ways to honor him this day on Father's Day. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you once again that you are a father and that you call us to fullness of life in Jesus Christ, that you love us, and that even in the fact that we... Uh, become spiritually unhealthy. Even in the fact when we fail and fall and make messes and get discouraged and even depressed, we thank you that you are there in the midst of it. That there is a king that rules and reigns who is standing right beside us now. Who is in the room with us right now. And we just say, may you be the king of our lives. May you be the one that we worship and adore and live faithfully for and persevere until the end. 
So come and do a work in our hearts. Come and do a work that will encourage our souls, that will lift us up, that will renew us, that will energize us for a new day in Christ as we begin to come out of this COVID-19 lockdown kind of semi-coma thing. Father, we pray that your church would just come fully alive, busting out of the gates of this pandemic, living fully for you. And we pray for the dads that are being thought of, are being touched right now. Uh, May they just know the Father's love for them. And may they uh, just have a great sense that the word of God is true and right and perfect and the king of glory stands with them as they lead their families and lead the ones that you have called them to influence for God and for good. So bless us as we celebrate Father's Day. Bless us as we begin this study of the book of Revelation. Bless us as we seek to live fully for you in Christ's name, amen, amen. Church, thanks for tuning in on Father's Day. I hope it's a great one. Hope you have a magnificent time with your family uh, that you love, amen.